Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please have a seat, everybody. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. The country... This great country of ours is abuzz about the televised January 6th hearings. Today, committee members took a little day off to explain drunk Giuliani to their children. (laughs) You see, kids, when a man and a bottle love each other very much, (laughs) they exchange a special kiss. (laughs) But I've got some difficult news for those of you who are planning to tune into the hearings tomorrow morning for the latest chapter, because the January 6th committee has postponed Wednesday's hearing. They promised us hearings. We can't let them get away with this. I'm storming the Capitol. Who's with me? I may have missed the spirit of this whole thing. (laughs) The reason for the delay is evidently technical issues, as California Representative Zoe Lofkin explained. Putting together uh, the the video and the exhibits is an exhausting uh, exercise for our very small, you know, video staff. So we're trying to, you know, we were going to have one, two, three in one week, and it's just, it's too much uh, to put it all together. Let me get this straight. So you have to postpone saving democracy because your video staff is overwhelmed? It's like Paul Revere's famous cry, error 404, horse not found. Come on! Come on! Come on, Lofgren. You're postponing because your poor widow video team is tie-tie? I got a video team here at the Late Show, and I ride them like a borrowed mule, and I put them away wet, okay? (laughs) They put together clips five nights a week under inhuman conditions, by which I mean watching Fox News. (laughs) These folks have seen... It's awful! These folks have seen Tucker Carlson's face more than their own children. (laughs) And they can handle anything I throw at them. Watch this. Video team! Can I get some footage of the former president refusing to say he'll accept the election results months before the vote? Go! Can you give a direct answer? You will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you... I have to see. Nailed it! Okay, how about some footage of the former president lashing out at perceived enemies? I don't like mosquitoes! Yes! (laughs) Good job! Now, footage of Mark Meadows trying to scrub away any evidence of his involvement in the coup. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you for your service. Of course, I'm still digesting yesterday's bombshell that the former president demanded his followers donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund, which raised a quarter of a billion dollars. And surprise, surprise, the committee discovered the whole thing was a grift. 
As the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed. So he duped $250 million from his most passionate supporters, then watched as they all go to prison while he sat in Mar-a-Lago double-fisting coconut shrimp. And these aren't wealthy people. You can always tell because they're wearing nothing but giveaway merch from the losing team. <laughs> so if there was no election defense fund... <laughs> come on! So if there was no election defense fund, where did the money go? Well, according to the committee, there was a $1 million donation to the personal foundation of the former president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Yes, the Meadows Foundation is a charity that raises money to fund research into how much money it can raise. <laughs> they also skimmed off over $200,000 for the former president's hotels, and that was just Giuliani's bar tab. <laughs> of course, they spread cash around to their friends and fam. For instance, Don Jr.'s fiance, Kimberly Guilfoyle, was paid $60,000 for her two-minute January 6th speech. But it was worth every dime. I'll never forget her immortal words. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Big fans. Big Guilfoyle fans. Of course, the big question looming over all of these hearings is somebody's going to jail for this, right? Right? Right, guys? Somebody's going to jail? Well, we got a hint last night from committee chairman and man seeing the other table get their guac even though he ordered first. <laughs> Benny Thompson. Representative Thompson told reporters that the panel will not make any criminal referral of the former president or anyone else to the Justice Department. Counterpoint, why not? <laughs> There's a reason law and order doesn't start like this. In the criminal justice system, there is one branch who investigates the crimes. And that's it. Everyone goes free. Now, only... Sir. That's a pretty good call. That's a pretty good call. Only time will tell if the DOJ prosecutes anybody, but the committee has already accused Rudy Giuliani of first-degree booze slurping with intent to chug a lug. <laughs> Committee member Jamie Raskin was asked why the committee highlighted Rudy's intoxication. The allegations uh, in the hearing today that Rudy Giuliani was drunk on election night. I wanted to understand from you why you felt it was important to include. Um, I, I don't know that it was important to include because I really can't tell the difference between, uh, you know, those two conditions for him. Well, yes. It can be very hard to tell, because sometimes he's drunk, and sometimes he's pretending he's not. <laughs> but the forensic team here at the Late Show Labs has created a computer rendering of what Rudy Giuliani would look like in the event he briefly became sober. <laughs> Looking good. Looking good, Mr. Mayor. Now, one person unhappy about the accusations against Rudy was Rudy, who today tweeted... I refused all alcohol that evening. My favorite drink, Diet Pepsi. I love Diet Pepsi, especially a robust 
Red Diet Pepsi, or in the summer, a Diet Pepsi Rosé. I also enjoy Box Diet Pepsi. It doesn't have the same notes as the bottled one, but after a few soup for have a Until they face consequences, the ex-president's family is still out there peddling their wares, including eldest MAGA son Don Jr., seen here wondering, how come the airplane doesn't have to flap? (laughs) Don Jr.'s latest business venture is an homage to his dad. He's been promoting Good Ranchers, a MAGA-friendly mail-order meat company. He put his endorsement on Instagram. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what is Instagram? <laughs> you put that up on the Instagram? <laughs> you get that up on the Twitter? On the Instagram? <laughs> they put his endorsement up on the Instagram. <laughs> Some delicious. <laughs> And do his sausage in your inner ground. Mix it up. Hey, <laughs> he put his endorsement on Instagram, the TV of your phone. Guys, if you haven't heard about Good Ranchers before, you need to. They're one of the only companies out there delivering 100% American meat to your door 100% of the time. 100% of the time, there will be meat at your door. Every time you open it, boom! More meat. Like it or not, meat there. You're gonna have to walk over the meat every time you open your door. That sounds less like a delivery and more like a threat. Hey, snitches get rib tips. All I'm saying, I hate to see your wife and kids end up with infinite meat. Don also uh, convinced his fiance to push his meat. Here's Liberty. <laughs> Thank you. Here's Liberty lover Kimberly Guilfoyle in her own steak shilling video. And when the kids want great steaks, they only want to eat Good Ranchers. And I don't blame them. So we're having steaks and some potatoes tonight. You can go to goodranchers.com. Holy carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> Who grills like that inside the house? These steaks are perfect for any occasion. It is for Father's Day or graduation or Father's Day. And I just, I just want to take a nap, Dad. The best is yet to come. Nighty-night. Waga, waga, waga. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, hey, Steve, given this family's whole deal, what's the grift here? Is it gopher meat? Maybe. Because after numerous customer complaints, Good Ranchers' accreditation with the Better Business Bureau was revoked. With one purchaser saying, steaks were discolored and had sludge on them. Well, like father, like steak. We got a great show for you tonight. Up next, the Watergate hearings in a nutshell. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, 
interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Louis Cato, tonight, what an honor. Uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein are here. Ooh. Woodward and Bernstein are here. We're going to break, break it down, and just uh, we're talking about Watergate in just yeah. a moment here. I just want to I just want to throw a little plug in uh, for a guest we had here a couple of weeks ago. We had Julia Roberts on, who is uh, producing and starring in Gaslit over on the Stars uh, Network, I believe. If you haven't seen it, it's about it's about Watergate. Yeah. It's about Watergate. It's amazing. She plays Margaret Mitchell, Martha Mitchell. She plays Martha Mitchell. Sean Penn is an amazing John Mitchell, Attorney General for for Nixon. Uh, Dan Stevens is John Dean, and Betty Gilpin is amazing as Mo Dean. I'm not be getting paid extra for this, right? This is just purely from the heart. It's a great series. <laughs> Go check it out. All right. Woo. Now, they could. They could pay me if they wanted. Folks, if you're enjoying the January 6th hearings, fun fact, this Friday happens to be the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. In June of 1972, my guests tonight, reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, began reporting in the Washington Post one of the biggest political stories in American history, the break-in and bugging of the Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate Hotel, aided by their secret FBI source, Mark Felt, a.k.a. Deep Throat, named, of course, after the infamous 1970s porn film, Mark Felt. <laughs> Their reporting linked the crime to President Richard Nixon, and soon after, the Watergate Committee was established, holding 51 sessions televised gavel to gavel, and which produced a slew of the 1970s equivalent of viral moments that changed public opinion. Like when Committee Vice Chairman, Republican Senator Howard Baker, asked this now famous question. What did the president know, and when did he know it? As opposed to today, when it's, who did the president text, and why was it Sean Hannity? The committee compelled explosive testimony from insiders like former White House counsel John Dean, who testified that Nixon himself orchestrated the cover-up and ordered the FBI not to investigate it. It was stunning for the president to be sold out by a member of his inner circle. It would be like the January 6th committee hearing testimony from a 12-piece bucket. <laughs> but the biggest bombshell was the revelation that Nixon had a tape recorder in the Oval Office that captured the whole cover-up. A bombshell that Nixon's one-time deputy assistant, Alexander Butterfield, dropped very reluctantly. Mr. Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? I was aware of listening devices. Yes, sir. Damn. That is the pause of a kid who knows dad has the goods. <laughs> Tyler, are you aware of any pornography sites in my work laptop's browser history? <laughs> I am aware of those sites. <laughs> yes, sir. Nixon ordered the tapes withheld, then he ordered the tapes destroyed, but thanks to the work of the committee, he was ordered by the Supreme Court to turn them over, and they were loaded with evidence of him incriminating himself. So, pro tip, if you're ever committing a crime against the United States, remember, do 
not record yourself doing crimes. The Watergate hearings had a massive impact from the day they began to the day Nixon resigned. The number of Americans who thought Nixon should be removed from office jumped from 19% to 57%. The only case ever made more persuasively on television is the one curtailing the Real Housewives' legal access to white wine. <laughs> the process worked exactly as it should 50 years ago, so I hope the January 6th committee follows the example they set in 1973, right down to forcing all the witnesses to enter the chamber via Soul Train dance line. <laughs> When we come back, we'll talk to the reporters who broke the Watergate story 50 years ago, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. <laughs> Folks, my guests tonight are Pulitzer Prize-winning titans of journalism who've been reporting for over 50 years. Combined, they've written 25 books including their latest titles, Peril and Chasing History. Please welcome the truly legendary Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank, thank you uh, both for being here. I've, inter I've interviewed both of you individually. This is the first time I've seen you in, you know, in full form, the two of you together, back, bring the band back together here. <laughs> Um, you, you are here because not only is this Friday the 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in, but you have a new 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men, right there, your, your classic book, <laughs> on the Watergate scandal. <laughs> and it says, Old. with a new foreword on what Watergate means today, I'll bite. <laughs> what does Watergate mean to us today? Have, have you been watching the hearings? Yeah. I mean, obsessively. I think they're great hearings. Mm -hmm. I think it not only tells you what happened, but at the center of this is who is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is somebody... Uh, you've got to make a tough judgment. But he did all of these things. And it is a crime. In the simplest definition to try to subvert the... A legitimate function of government. And this is to certify on January 6th who's president. If they don't do that, we don't have a precedent. I mean, if Pence... Or a democracy. Just, or a democracy. Uh, if Pence had just walked off and said, oh, sorry, never mind. I'm sorry, that's another show. And, <laughs> and, and uh, then what would have happened? And so we... The, the stakes couldn't be higher. No, that's right. Carl, what do you think... What, what, what do we learn from Watergate that's applicable today? Well, first of all, Richard Nixon was a criminal president who tried to undermine the very basis of our democracy, the electoral system. And then you have Donald Trump, who also tried to undermine the electoral system, but went farther. He staged a coup to prevent the peaceful transfer of power to the duly elected successor, Joe Biden, who was elected fairly and freely. And then we have, in this coup attempt, the first seditious president of the United States. Imagine a president who attempts to inspire an insurrection at the Capitol building to shut down 
an election. The president of the United States has to be elected by the electors with the vice president presiding at 1 p.m. on January 6th. If they can't fulfill that function, then you're into chaos, maybe martial law. We had a coup staged by a president the likes of which you see in juntas, the likes of which you see in authoritarian regimes all over the world. In, in the new forward uh, to all the president's men, it, it compares the, the former president to Nixon. What do you gentlemen see as the starkest similarities between, between Nixon and Trump? An obsession with hating the opposition. Nixon said so famously yeah. the day he resigned, we'll never forget this. I mean, he, he's giving this speech. He's leaving the presidency, something he worked all of his life to get. And he says, quote, always remem remember, others may hate you, but that those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. It's the hating that eats away at you. Trump is the same way. I was uh, in 2020 down at Mar-a-Lago interviewing him, and he had a video of himself giving uh, the State of the Union address, but he put in various Democrats. And they're just kind of sitting there, and Trump's right behind me. I thought he was going to bite me in the neck. He said, see it? It's hate. It's hate. And there's no doubt that a lot of these people hate him and he hates them. But uh, this accelerated sense of, you know, they are after me. I mean, Bernie Sanders, he was, there was a clip of Bernie Sanders. He said, see the hate? And, you know, it... Bernie's just sitting there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's projection. Yeah, it's a little yeah, bit of projection. Yeah. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, everybody. Hey, everybody. We're back here with the authors of uh, the newly released, updated uh, All the President's Men, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. I, you talk about hate and the, the, the hate that uh, the former president might have for the people he feels do not constantly praise him, let's say. But I've also heard, Carl, I know you said this, that behind closed doors, that Republicans in Washington just detest the former president, but they won't say it because they're frightened of his base. What was that like with Nixon? Was there a respect for Nixon, or did the, the Republicans at the time really want to get rid of him? They, they were respectful of him. Most Republicans followed his policies, liked his policies, uh, supported him pretty wholeheartedly. The difference here, you know, I did this story uh, for CNN, both in print and on the air, that said that 21 Republican members of the Senate despised Trump, disdain him, and then I got a call the next day from a former Republican senator who called me and said, Carl, the number is really closer to 40. And here you have, and only two of the ones I named, named all 21 of them, only two did anything like denying what I had written. But I had gotten this from members of the staff of each of these senators. And then you look at how craven these people in the Senate are to go along with Trumpism, to go along with authoritarianism, 
to go along with what Trump has done to undermine democracy. One of our two political parties has been and, and captured, captured by, the, by these forces. Yeah. And they're just not coming clean. And That's right. part of the problem in our politics is there's not enough transparency. People are not saying how they feel. Uh, one of the things that uh, struck me very much is a remark that we reported on uh, that Gina Haspel, who was Trump's CIA director, now she is a tough lady, somebody who watched waterboarding and, and so forth. And so after, about a week after the election, which Trump lost, we know, from all the empirical evidence, mm -hmm. uh, he fired his defense secretary, Mark Esper, who very well-respected person, and Gina Haspel, calls up General Milley and she says, you know, this is insanity. We are experiencing a right-wing coup. Trump is acting like a six-year-old with a tantrum. Now, we've heard some CIA directors <laughs> say some nasty things about presidents. Mm -hmm. A six-year-old with a you remember when you were a six year old? I do, and sure. if you, you got you a better a memory than I. Yeah, yeah. I, when, want when you, when, I want a balloon. I want a balloon. I want a yeah. balloon. I want a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> I want a balloon. You know, give it to me. Yeah, I mean, let it, it rip. Yeah. Let it rip. Okay, so eventually, the Republican senators in 1974, led by Goldwater, once they'd heard the tapes, right? Once they'd heard the tapes, they marched over to the White House and said, "You got to go because we're, we're, you're going to be voted. You're going to we're going to vote to impeach you. We're not on your side anymore." Is that how it went down, well, essentially? You know, we wrote a book called The Final Days about Nixon's last year in office. So we went to see Barry Goldwater, the 1964 nominee of his party uh, for president. We went up to his apartment. He poured himself a big tumbler of whiskey, pulled out his one diary. One for you and one for me <laughs> <right>. also. Don't <laughs> leave that <laughs> out. <laughs> Pull... Okay. <laughs> But Goldwater was such this figure. Yeah, he was, and... he was considered really by that time a kind of conscience of, of the Republican Party. He pulls out this diary and starts reading to us about how he took a group of leaders in the Senate and the House, the Republican leadership, to the Oval Office, Nixon sitting across from him, Nixon fully expecting Goldwater to tell him that he's probably got enough votes to prevail and not be a, uh, convicted in a Senate trial. So Nixon says, Barry, how many votes do I have in the Senate for acquittal? Goldwater looks at him and says, Mr. President, maybe four, maybe six, and you don't have mine. And the next day, Richard Nixon went on television and announced he was going to resign. That is the difference okay. between the Republicans in Congress today and then. Can I, can I, can I, uh... I remember it. August 8th, August 9th was the resignation, 1974. Can I suggest another difference? Is that Nixon, on these tapes, in secret, there were secret recordings of him admitting to be part of these crimes. Whereas with the former president, the tapes aren't secret. <laughs> he said it out loud Absolutely. in front of everybody multiple times and for years leading up to the event that he wouldn't accept the results. Right. Is there something about the shamelessness of that that prevents the members of his party from doing the right thing in public when 
they are in secretly hoping the right but, thing but, happens. But there's something intervening here. It's called the Constitution and the law. I've heard and good it, things. And, and you've, you've heard about these things. Yeah. Sometimes you think Trump has not. Quaint. Because they are very, very clear that there are certain obligations. For instance, uh, the day before January 6th and on January 6th, Trump talks to Pence, his vice president. Now, Pence is the one who's going to be leading the Congress in certifying yes. who's going to be the next president. And, he, and uh, he berates Pence. He said, you know, you, I'm not going to be your friend anymore if you don't do this. You, mm -hmm. I, I, if you don't do this, uh, you are betraying us. You are finished. Your life, you know, your political life is over. I mean, it is rumored but I, not uh, authenticated that Trump said to him, and I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party down in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> but, but, but if you look at this, if you look at this, it is a crime if somebody tries to get somebody to do something illegal. Well, and, I, and the reporting was that Pence said, I don't have the power to make you president of the United States. And Trump said, but wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> right. you did? And he yes. did use the word cool. <laughs> but he he really cool? did. Right. But he yeah. really thought that he could overwhelm both the law and his vice president. And in this case, this Republican stood his ground and said, you cannot do this, Mr. President. I won't do your, your bidding. We have to take another break. But when I come back, I will ask Bob and Carl about their thoughts on the future of American democracy. Stick around. Hey, everybody, we're back with the authors of the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. 50 years ago, here you are, you two gentlemen, right there. Young reporters. And I'm, I'm curious... As, as briefly as you can, how is it the two of you ended up being the ones on this story? Were, were you put on the story? Did it, ha did it happen randomly? Why is it the two of you who were there to cover this particular break-in that turned out to be this tectonic event? It was a Saturday morning, and I was in my apartment asleep, and the city editor said, it's the most beautiful day in Washington ever. Who would be dumb enough to come in and work? And they immediately thought of me. <laughs> and Carl? I was working on another story that didn't seem as good to me as what was going on in City Desk about a break-in uh, at the Democratic National Committee. I put aside my story and said to the city editor, you know, I think I'll do some, make some calls. And I did. And that was it. Well, it's been 50 years. <laughs> right place, right time. And it's been 50 years this, this Friday, and it was a great scandal. Uh, America, because of the functioning of the Senate at the time and the investigation and the, the, party, uh, the Republican Party doing the right thing, avoided uh, a, a moment of great peril for the United States then. We've just had another moment of great peril. We're in another moment of great peril, as, as you say in your book, Peril. What is your feeling about the future of this experiment we call American democracy? Well, first of all, I mean, during 50 years ago, we had Catherine Graham, who was the publisher-owner 
of the Washington Post. And I remember early on having lunch with her um, in her dining room at the Washington Post, lunch. And, uh, you know, and we, we had this discussion and I said, we don't, I, I don't know what's gonna happen in Watergate. And she said, when is the truth gonna come out? And I said, I need to be honest with you, never. And she turned to me and she grabbed my arm and said, don't tell me, never. Okay. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> There's another aspect to Catherine Graham. A little while after this, uh, the guard down at the door at the Washington Post called me and said, there's a subpoena server here to get your notes from the Republican National Committee. And I said, well, keep them down there. And I went to Ben Bradley, the great editor of the Washington Post, told him there was this subpoena server, and he said, make sure he stays down there. I'm going to go talk to Catherine. Went up to Catherine Graham's office, came back down, and I, I still get emotional when I talk about this, came back downstairs, came over to my desk and said, Catherine says they're not your notes, they're her notes. And if anybody's going to go to jail, it's going to be her. It's one of the great moments in journalism history. And so what Bradley said, he would... Bradley uh, had the <laughs> great ability to find a moment. He said, oh, just think of it, Catherine's limousine pulls up to the women's detention center <laughs> and they take a picture and Ben said, that is a picture that will run on the front page of every newspaper, not just in this country, but the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am going to take from what the two of you just said is that there is hope as long as the truth is still pursued. Okay. <laughs> yes? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if, if people are looking and open-minded themselves, the people themselves in this country, if they're open to the truth, absolutely. And it's a big question we need to answer. Are the people of this country open to the truth? And I, I believe they are. And I right. think we have got to do more hard work and find out the... I mean, what the January 6th committee... I mean, I really want to... Uh, give them a lot of credit. They had detail, they had testimony. There was no ambiguity right. in what they presented. Well... <laughs> <laughs> we have to go away for a commercial, but we'll be right back with more Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, everybody. <laughs> author of the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men. So you broke this story 50 years ago. You're still breaking stories having to do with Watergate. Please tell the story that you guys have just revealed about Martha Mitchell calling you up in <laughs> 1974 with a scoop. You did a phone call, and I'll tell you yeah, the other oh, yes. oh, so I'm in the office, and the phone rings, and it's Martha Mitchell, who I know. I've interviewed her, and she actually Wife of went the Attorney General of Under Nixon, who don't know. Went and literally and complained about the smokestack in Georgetown that was putting... Uh, my, why the hell is my cell phone going off now? 
Is your cell phone going off right now? Yeah. Answer. Yeah. It's Martha Mitchell. Maybe it's Martha. Martha. Martha Mitchell. Okay. So she calls and and she said, our um, and this is 1974-75. And uh, I mean, it was one of those calls. She said, so uh, uh, John has left me. Actually, she said, the son of a bitch has left me. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's right. So John that's Mitchell, right. former attorney and general. She said, now, uh, can you and Mr. Bernstein, always right. called you this, uh, come up here and, uh, you know, we c you can go through his stuff in his <laughs> office. <laughs> she was just going to let you into his home office. Absolutely. Yeah. We got on a plane right then, straight to the airport. No, we checked the, the lawyers. That's our first we called a lawyer. Yeah, and the lawyers said, and we said, can we do this? And they said, you know, the lawyers are great. They said, well, this is constructive abandonment. <laughs> Just like leaving it on the street corner sure, with sir. your trash. Yes. And, and so... So we get up there and we're greeted by Martha Mitchell with a birdbath martini about like this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stumbling around the living room and all this chintz around us. And then she takes us into the study, this, you know, wood-paneled study, and she says, there it is up there in the closet, all the books. And the closet's about 12 feet high. And uh, so I say, say to Woodward, I'm climbing up there and get a ladder and go up there, and there's like a ledge up top, and I start handing the books down to, down to Woodward. And his notes. And, and his and, notes and, and his checkbooks. And, and his everything. checkbooks. <laughs> And uh, we got some stories out of it. And, and, and then we decided not to disclose our source because it was the angry wife. Sure. And, and even if it's a reliable angry wife, <laughs> it's not a great thing to say we got it from Martha. So John Mitchell's lawyer called and said, you got to turn this stuff back to us. And uh, so we danced around and said, yeah, and he said, Mitchell's preparing for a trial and, you know, going on trial for his liberty and he should be entitled to his notes. So we uh, were sitting there, what the hell do we do? Do we give all this stuff back? We went all the way to New York <laughs> and, and Martha Mitchell blessed. And then we said to the copy aides, uh, emergency Xeroxing. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd give them back. And they all came. And we Xeroxed everything. We gave the originals back, and we still have the documents. Did you tell them you were Xeroxing it? <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Carl, the 50th anniversary edition of All the President's Men is available now. Bob Woodward, Paul Burton, everybody. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. If you're enjoying The Late Show Pod Show, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. And for more exclusive Late Show content, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, 
interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.